So I would have been long hair, wearing <laughs> girls' jeans, a t-shirt two sizes too small, playing punk rock emo music, uh, trying to make my way in the rock scene. Um, I remember my parents were incredibly supportive of my short-lived music career. And I say short-lived not only to be honest, but also to say that we're all better for that. Um, I walked onto Miami's campus because my father went there and I was told, hey, I know you're going to be a rock star. That's a given, right? But in case- You, you, and, you and Nick Lachey. That's it, that's it. <laughs> in the rare event that that doesn't work out, college is a really good alternative and you should be open to the idea. I said, dad, you're, you're the establishment. You don't know. Just put the fender in my hand and just watch the dollars come. So I agreed to go on a campus tour and instantly I was blown away. I mean, I wanted to shred the girl jeans, go to Brooks Brothers, put on some khakis, figure out what boat shoes were and, and just join a fraternity. Joined by Chris Wittine, who's an agent in CAA's digital media business, representing some of the world's best gamers, streamers, esports athletes, more importantly, an Oxford, Ohio alum. Chris, how you doing today? I'm good, man. I'm good. Appreciate the invite to join the pod. Yeah, well, I, I'm sure both of us would like to be sitting up on High Street right now outside of <laughs> Skipper's um, but we've got we've got work to do. So let's let's start with the first thing when when people start talking about gaming and esports and athletes and streamers. And I think I know from the world I live in too. Most people don't even understand what the difference is between some of those words. So why don't you share who your clients are and differentiate kind of the the industry that you're in, if you would. Yeah, for sure. So totally get the sort of confusion and, and the lingo that goes around it. There's the term e-gaming too, which is appearing out there. Um, I only know what I know because of great uh, thought leadership from my colleagues. So I'm gonna regurgitate a little of that. Uh, we tend to think of it as gaming is everything from playing Monopoly as a tabletop game to mobile gaming with Candy Crush. It is, you know, a hobby. It can be a profession for some. Typically, the folks that fit into that category are your content creators, your people broadcasting on Twitch or making videos on YouTube or, or on social media. Esports is the competitive scene. People that are athletes that are playing at the highest level of competition, often specializing in a particular title and earning a living off of salary from being on a team and winnings from competing. So they're two distinct camps. The lines get blurred when you see people like Ninja who started on a competitive space and transitioned to being a bit more of what's called a content creator today. So there is a little bit of overlap, but generally speaking, when you think about it as a audience or as a brand, they're kind of two distinct lanes. I came into this space having worked with content creators for the majority of my entertainment career um, across gaming, but also lifestyle, celebrity, really any of the folks that are digitally endemic 
and have built large businesses and practices online. And when dealing with brands, um, how often are you still explaining the difference or what's, what's the other, the big miss that I don't want to say is frustrating, but makes you say, Oh, I'm back to a little one-on-one just in the beginning of this conversation. Yeah. There's a ton of education that still takes place. Um, often a lot of brands that are entering it don't know which version they want or which strategy fits best with each side. Um, and, you know, it's OK because mainstream media has really conflated both ideas and, and made it confusing for everyone. Um, so unless you're super endemic and follow the space and breathe and live esports or Twitch, um, most folks just don't have that compass to guide them between which direction they should go. So there's a fair amount of that, which is totally fine. The better part of that is that people are starting to think this way the audience is starting to finally get the attention it deserves. You know, it's nothing that's really new. It's now just kind of rising to the top of the North American zeitgeist where people are taking interest in it. These, you know, spaces and communities have existed in, in Asia for the longest time, you know, some dating back 15, 20 years to people carrying their monitors and their towers to make a LAN party, right? and just kind of getting together to do some competitive play. So it's exciting now to even have those educational conversations because that means that people are starting to think and acknowledge, you know, the massive force that is a new wave of celebrity, a new wave of sport, a new place to consume content, uh, and a community that is really passionate about a diverse set of ideas uh, and entertainment. Yeah, and, and as much as we'd all like COVID just to get out of our lives today, uh, certainly has accelerated your field too, just with the focus, certainly in terms of viewership or sponsorship and just eyes on anything digital, digital media, digital first, for sure, right? What, uh, talk about, so you started as content creation, could have been, it could have been gaming, but it was also, as you said, lifestyle, just really co content creators. Yeah. Um, when you think about the traits, the business skills of what you do, um, are, are most people in your field ones that were gamers themselves or just understand the landscape of media in 2020? Uh, it's a little bit of both. Probably the strongest cohort are the gamers themselves or the people that have been in this space institutionally for 10, 15, 20 years. Um, you know, the folks that point back to oh man, I remember blowing on the cartridge and, and Atari and all the stuff that follows it. And then you have the new wave Hollywood types that are, you know, just following audience and they're jumping in. And I'll be the first to out myself before someone does it to me, uh, hopefully listening to the podcast. I was always a, a gamer and I enjoyed it. Mario, the whole thing, Call of Duty but I wasn't by any means lifeblood competing um, in, in part of that early scene. Um, I just always held an affinity for it and chased the opportunity professionally when it presented itself. Um, so now the marketplace has got a bit of a mix of both. And I would say that a lot of the traditional media um, customary kind of practices apply, but then there's this whole separate vernacular and really woven community that one is the first to spot an outsider, 
because you weren't the one that was sweating it in the early days. You're mm -hmm. chasing now because you just read an article. Uh, and two, a little bit stuck in their ways. And I don't say that's in a, in a bad way or negative way. In some ways, it's actually quite refreshing. Um, you know, game developers that are just as much artists as the people that play their titles mm -hmm. and the people that are kind of in front of camera. It's incredibly rewarding to see how much thought goes into what could be uh, to the outsider, you know, a very simple game. Mm. And so we're going to pause career in 2020 and we'll tie this back in. Most people, when they start in Oxford, Ohio, aren't thinking gaming. And most people, when they're starting in college, aren't thinking much of what they're going to be doing when they're 22. So let's, let's go back to just even high school. What, what were you thinking in high school about when I get older, I am going to do what? Uh, okay. So I would have been long hair, wearing girls, jeans, a t-shirt, two sizes, too small, playing punk rock, emo music, uh, trying to make my way in the rock scene. Um, I remember my parents were incredibly supportive of my short lived music career. And I say short lived, not only to be honest, but also to say that we're all better for that. Um, I walked onto Miami's campus because my father went there and I was told, Hey, I know you're going to be a rock star. That's a given, right? But in case you, you and you and Nick Lachetti, that's it. That's it. <laughs> in the rare event that that doesn't work out, college is a really good alternative and you should be open to the idea. I said, dad, you're, you're the establishment. You don't know just put the fender in my hand and just watch the dollars come. So I agreed to go on a campus tour and instantly I was blown away. I mean, I wanted to shred the girl jeans, go to Brooks Brothers, put on some khakis, figure out what boat shoes were and, and just join a fraternity. I mean, I had no idea. I, I think I got the memo a little late about how amazing farmer was as a business school. So I went on the track of international studies and Spanish. I, I did a double major and it's not because I'm incredibly creative. It's because my father did the exact same thing <laughs> and I just followed his path. I said, there's a blueprint, a man I admire and someone who's very successful. Hey, I could do worse. What was it when you walked when you got on campus and that tour or the first day of school that 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 kind of took you to the core and said, I really fit in or I really like it. It, it was like, you know, walking into a Norman Rockwell painting. Hmm. It was a life of Americana and Georgian brick that I just I'd never seen before everyone was ridiculously attractive and happy to be there and and you know running around doing collegiate events high street was rustling and bustling with skippers and all the sounds of uptown and it, it grabs hold of you you know it, it really is a place unlike any other and i've been fortunate to go to other colleges since and explore other places in my professional life and i wouldn't do it any other way i mean there's a magic to oxford ohio that was you know palpable in an in instant when i was on the campus is so there a kind of cut through the rock music is there is there a class a professor um a moment that stands out stands out for you in terms of 
personal growth or maturity um, during the time? Yeah, there were quite a few. And I would say that it almost always came from at least the curriculum at the time I went there. I think they call it the Miami plan that was, you know, making sure you were getting a diverse group of classes uh, irrespective of what your major was. So, you know, you could choose a path to do languages or the arts, even if you were in the business school, for example. And I always remember those classes from philosophy to Spanish to a women's studies course I took that, you know, the professors, even though it wasn't a discipline I was chasing, were incredibly impactful and insightful and just kind of taught you to think in different ways. Um, so leading into, I think, what was your question is like, how did this kind of lead to the path? I didn't have a real strong sense of direction because I never thought post Miami. I was so caught up in Miami. So everyone's getting a job at a big four accounting firm. I realize, oh, it'd be really good to have ambitions and some sort of goal. Um, my first thought process was, how do I repeat Miami and just go into grad school? Because the experience was so rewarding and, and comfortable. And during international studies, did you, did you travel? Did you, did you do a semester abroad or a summer abroad while you're at school? So Miami's got the incredible Luxembourg campus. Uh, I had to be the counterculture guy that said, I'm not doing Luxembourg. Everyone does Luxembourg. I am a Spanish major. I'm going to Spain. I was fortunate enough growing up to live in a couple foreign countries, Mexico and Chile, uh, being two of them, I thought I needed to conquer Europe. So I got a cohort together through an exchange program Miami had with the University of Virginia, who had a campus standing in Valencia, Spain, similar to our Luxembourg. And I guess UVA, maybe they still have this arrangement, would send students to the Miami Luxembourg campus. So it was kind of an exchange between the universities. So I ended up doing, I think about four months and some change in Valencia, Spain, uh, my junior year. And, and you're one of the first guys I've had on, and we talked about this before, talking about age and CEOs and what level and who does podcasts and different things. And as I said to you, I want 75-year-olds and 22-year-olds. You're one of the first that I would say has grown up digital first, right? Most of the guys that, that, are, that come on that are CEOs in 55 and 60, they've now hired a generation of people that have done that. So mm -hmm. I, I asked you kind of firsthand to the kid at Miami now who's 18 to 22, those skill sets that are imperatives um, when they get into whatever industry they're going to do. You know, I think every generation kind of thinks they're unique, right? No one knows the problems that we face. No one has the opportunity that we face. But what I will say I feel very blessed is saw the analog young enough to be right there for the digital and understand both sides of it. When I look at the groups that won't probably have the analog or digital is so much further ahead, you, you know, it's funny. I think about our time at Miami, if we had Uber and Lyft, mm -hmm. I, I would have never graduated. There would be zero friction to go to that party, to see that event. I mean, it would be dangerous. So I think about that stuff and how it impacts your professional path and your skill sets today. 
it's it's all about keeping the fundamentals alive, but understanding it's the message, not the medium. So one thing that I run into a lot in my profession is we are still incredibly focused, certainly at CA, at relationships and picking up the phone and talking to someone to get business done, to understand who the human being is on the other side of the transaction, to understand how your clients uh, wish to be represented and what choices they're looking to make in their career and, and where to find opportunity. It's to not get lost and take for granted all the stuff that you have at your disposal in place of the basic human connections, emotional intelligence, and the importance of just picking up the phone. We'll put our, both of our ages on the spot here. You, you wish you had Uber and Lyft. I wish we had computers, and I don't even feel that I'm that old. <laughs> we had uh, we had one computer for 70 in the fraternity house. I think fraternity houses probably now only had 15 in a house. They were 70 when we were there, but we had one for 70, which is incredible. That's mm-hmm. in the 90s. You know, it's not, not forever. Um, future of your business. So you talked about analog to digital. We've talked about, you know, the, the esports and the competitive versus a streamer or a gamer. Where, where does that, and we're, we're kind of mature, yet we're also in the first inning of, of this field. Give me five years, 10 years. Where, where do you see this industry going that when you talk to others at CA that are maybe in sports or in, ho- or in uh, TV or film, it, it would blow them away because they can't even think to what that would be. Because I, I look at where I spend a lot of my time in sports. I mean, sports and uh, film, they're, they're very similar. To your point, you know, from a medium or a message, yes, Netflix and YouTube and other things have changed where you can watch that film. It's it's still 90 minutes or it's still 20, you know, it's still 18 minutes. Um, obviously, some six minutes, but that business <laughs> isn't there anymore. But where, where does your business evolve in five or 10 years that to somebody else they, they can't even imagine that that's where this could be a rant i like to give often is we tend to work with folks that are entertainers whether you are a nfl top of your game quarterback or you are a culinary expert we tend to use uh, the term that you're an entertainer or an artist And I want to start with that is because take an example of the best guitar player in the world. In my opinion, if that person exists, we don't even know who that is and we won't know who that is because the only thing they focus on is being the best at guitar. It's a singular, very linear path. The path of an entertainer is you want to have an audience at some degree. You want to engage with fans and you want to share that art. And it doesn't also mean to mean that you are the best at it. You just have a certain level of talent that is beyond what most people could ever obtain or envision. So I look at those types of folks and I say, hey, entertainers want to reach audience. They want to share stories. They want to make connections. Technology comes and goes, changes, evolves, formats change. But those individuals that are focused on that path will find the technology that enables them to do that at its best reach the most people. Right now, the state of entertainment really has verticalized certain specialties, whether you're an actor or you're a musician or you are a professional gamer. In the future, I think it all starts to look a bit of the same. We've learned the hard way through the pandemic 
and some people that, you know, were just ahead of the curve understood, hey, even if I have a great studio film coming to market, my social audience matters. This is part of the messaging. This is a direct one-on-one dialogue that I get to have. In gaming and esports, now with all the focus on it, with the sort of decline that we see in other mediums and the changing in consumer preferences, I think it all starts to blend. It becomes entertainment for entertainment's sake. It starts to lose some of the stigmas that carry in different verticals. And it's all about how are you a frictionless experience for the audience? What is the technology that helps you tell your story the best? And I think that the fandoms are gonna rival that of what we've seen in traditional sports and what we've seen in movies and music and and television. I mean, I think it's gonna be already by revenue perspective, it's a juggernaut, right? It's actually bigger than some of those verticals that I mentioned combined. But uh, from a mainstream cultural awareness standpoint, it still has miles to go to, to achieve that. And I think it certainly does. It maybe you know, ellipses some of the ones that are already mentioned. And you're going to start to see young people when they fill out a survey that check the box. I want to be a professional gamer. I want to be a competitive esports athlete. Just up there with, you know, when people said rock star and cowboy. You know, it's it's going to be as mainstream as, as you can be. And I think people by nature love the sort of um, endorphins and excitement that come from gaming. Whether you realize it or not, it has some aspect in your life from playing Monopoly around the Thanksgiving dinner table to, you know, a quick game uh, launched on Facebook. I mean, it's there. It's ingratiated in all we do. Let's let's close back in Oxford. So the next time you go, you visit Miami, first first place you drive by to see and the first thing that you eat or drink. So I was a Fiji at Miami. So it's going to be to make sure the house is still there. (laughs) Um, Then from there, it's probably going to be jump across the street to Skipper's, grab a pint and some bar food and uh, get up in that balcony and look over. I mean, it's just being at the intersection of campus meets high street was always just the most thrilling place for me. 